0: Welcome back to another episode of All Things Digital, All Things Accessible. And as usual with me is my guest, the one and only Dr. Scott Hollier. Scott, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Kenneth. Now, Scott, we ventured out a little bit in the last episode when we were talking about IoT or Internet of Things. But on this episode, we're going to go further out, much further out, And we're going to be talking about the future of technology and how it applies to people with vision impairment and people who are blind. So let's jump straight into it and tell us what we can expect moving into the future.
1: Well, it's a really good question. And, of course, there's lots of things that we can see on the horizon that have lots of great potential. And in addition, I'm sure that if people are listening back to this podcast 10 years from now, they'll go, oh, but you forgot about the absolutely really vitally important thing in our society. So <laughs> uh, when we go to the future, it's always the case, that some sort of disruptive innovation will come through that will surprise us. I think certainly the main things that we can see looking forward at the moment, technologies around things like wearables, um, being able to put things on like the Apple Watch and some of the implications for wearables. I think we're going to be seeing things around virtual reality and augmented reality, which is getting a bit of traction at the moment. Further ahead, um, certainly things like driverless cars are getting a lot of uh, discussion. So there's just a couple that I think we'll see more of in the very near future.
0: Mm. You're right, because I remember a series called Space 1999, and I said, who's ever going to live that long? And we've gone way past 1999, and uh, we're still looking into the future of the stars. So that brings us to what you've just talked about, augmented reality. What is augmented reality? Augmented reality
1: is, I think, one of the really big things that's going to help people who are blind or vision impaired in the coming years. So... Virtual reality and augmented reality kind of join together in that virtual reality is when we put on, say, a helmet or have some sort of immersive experience and all we can see is the virtual world, where augmented reality blends the real world and the virtual world together. So a good example that's been very popular in the past year or two has been Pokemon Go, the um, the computer game that briefly uh, swept the world by storm, where you can hold up your phone and you can see the real world, but overlapped on that real world is a virtual Pokemon that you can um, then chase and capture. And augmented reality is basically like that, where we have information being provided to us from a computerized environment, but what we see is the real world or an interpretation of that real world. So to give an example of where this can be really helpful for people who are blind or vision impaired, to use myself as an example, is that uh, one thing I find very difficult when I'm in an unfamiliar environment is needing to ask complete strangers to help me, especially if it requires trying to find the toilet or something like that. And where augmented reality could really be useful is that I could wear some sort of device such as um, uh, smart glasses which could allow me with my limited vision to firstly change that environment into whatever works best for my eye condition. So for example I could make the room completely high contrast as I see it and from there you would then be able to light up a path which only I could see. And that path could guide me to the toilet based on some GPS information or similar sort of tracking information in the room. So essentially what that means is that I independently, with someone who is legally blind, I could use the limited vision I have to effectively navigate that room in a way that's comfortable for me and I could get to that toilet without needing to ask for help. And so this is just one very small example of where I think augmented reality could have a lot of really powerful implications. Likewise, there's no reason you couldn't go into a supermarket and pick up a can of soup and if you could hold it up to the glasses and it could use optical recognition scanning to find out what's listed on that can and then a screen reader could then read back to you uh, exactly what that product is, giving you independence in the shops. And so... We're going to see a lot more things along these lines, and I think that's a a really exciting future.
0: Mm. Now, how far away are we from these technologies becoming reality for us? And the other question is, does it work best with things that are stationary or things that are moving at different paces?
1: They're really good questions because in terms of what's possible now, this is all possible right now. I mean, we had Google Glass a few years ago, which was a big chunky thing that people wore around. It wasn't a great example of aesthetics. And And definitely uh, wasn't cool. That's right. In terms of its functionality, it was a good example of things to come. So there's nothing to stop us now from having devices where we could walk into a shop, hold up a can, or even just scan the barcode using augmented reality, get that information immediately. You know, Maybe it could hook into the... The store's own uh, register system to find out what that item is and so we could do things like that right now however the second question you asked about real time that's a really good question because when we use the pokemon go example you are catching pokemon in real time it's a fairly simplified thing in that there's sort of a stationary mostly stationary pokemon you know in our environment that we can find it's not jumping in and out of our view and uh, we can find it then we can catch it that works fairly well but when we are moving constantly in uh, real time through different um, environments, with different lighting, with different objects in different locations, and there's no guarantee that the labels are all facing forward. So OCR may or may not work in that environment. You can see that there are some complexities that start to uh, come in that may not result in all those benefits really being yielded. So I think moving forward, we'll start to see improvements I think a nice thing that i saw recently and this ties a little bit back into our previous internet of things recording was that there's a smart fridge now which can actually scan all the items in your fridge and it could do a full scan all around that item to actually then give you information as to what that item is in your fridge i think with augmented reality we're going to see more technology like that where based on the projection of things like for example it might go to a aisle where there is a whole stack of cans of soup and it might be able to get the bits of labels it can see and from there determine what the whole label is and tell you what those cans of soup are. So I think we're going to see some really rapid improvements but it absolutely has to work in real time and I think that's really the thing that's holding it back from being a a complete solution at the moment.
0: Mm. Now how much cooperation are we expecting from people like retailers to make this Technology work. I mean, if we're talking about arranging products and services, that's great. But how do we get the word out that if you want these customers to avail themselves of what you have in your store or in any particular environment, these are some of the adjustments that you've got to make?
1: Well, I think part of the the system is that we need a few different players to come on board for it all to work. So certainly I think the uh, supermarkets, the idea that people with disabilities could easily come in and buy their stuff, I think they're very much on board if there is an easy way to do it. But I think there's a few other developments which um, are in the pipeline which are likely to have a really good impact. So one particular one I think is interesting, going back to our big mega corps that do a lot of innovation in technology, um, to grab Google as an example... Very recently, Google rolled out a option to its Pixel smartphones called Google Lens. And Google Lens is essentially an augmented reality program which, when we point our phone at a particular area or, let's say, for example, a shop, and we take a photo of that, not only can it tell us that that is a picture of a shop, but it uses GPS information and other environmental information based on Google Maps and other things to say... What you've taken a photo of is actually this shop. Let's say it's a cafe. Here is the uh, things that shop sells, and here's how much they cost, and here's how accessible they are to get in and out of that shop. And this has um, just been rolled out now. So I think as big players like Google into this space, and this is very, very recent in terms of that uh, Google Lens feature, it hasn't rolled out to all Android devices as of this time, Uh, but it likely will and then uh, we see that say paired up with some cafes and things who do want to make sure that people have all the information they need to come in and make a purchase and now that there's some crowdsourcing of information as to the accessibility of that place As all these things roll together, augmented reality becomes a very uh, persuasive argument in its uptake. Although the biggest issue, uh, I think, that may hold it back a bit is cost. And certainly to get augmented reality to a point where it's something on our device that we don't have to pull out of our pocket and it just works for us as we move around,
0: we're not quite there yet. And uh, I think solutions need to come down a bit in price before we get there. Right. Now, staying on the same subject, talking about augmented reality, We live in a very, very social world, and we are meeting people, you know, every corner we turn. Is there the chance, or is there already some development of facial recognition so that uh, we don't end up having to just recognize voices? There is, and there are some devices
1: already available from um, some specialist assistive technology providers where you can wear a little camera on your shirt. And when you see someone, it can record who that person is. And then later when we meet that person again, a little voice in our ear will tell us that that's the person that we'd met previously. So we can do things to that level. But as to um, a more broader thing where you can just rock up anywhere and this device can figure out who someone is, I don't think it's that far away. For example, you could go to a conference where, you could, um, as part of registering the conference, you could upload a photo. And so that when your augmented reality device picks up, Person, it could try and match it with the ID of the person attending the conference and join those two bits of data together to tell you who it is. That's very, very doable, I think. Again, the cost involved in getting a portable device powerful enough that can do these things really quickly in real time is still probably the most prohibitive thing. But also, um, and as we've talked about in um, other recordings, there's uh, there's certainly some privacy and security implications for this as well. So are we necessarily comfortable in um, always taking photos of ourselves and giving it to other third-party providers so that big companies can... Uh, Identify us. And look, you know, a lot of people, especially a younger generation, would say, well, absolutely, I take selfies of myself 17 times a day. I don't see a problem. (laughs) But for a lot of us, knowing that lots of other people have access to this information and can instantly recognize us and what we're doing Mm. can be a little disconcerting, Mm. especially, you know, in the context of books like 1984. uh, That's right. You know, we're sort of inviting these technologies uh, into our uh, Big home. brother is watching. It you. is, but rather than the government trying to uh, keep an eye on us, we're openly inviting these technologies um, in these days. So mm. it's all things to uh, consider going forward.
0: Now, with the whole idea of convergence, which has been happening for many years now, do you think that facial recognition could easily become possible because of things like social media and Facebook, where people actually post their photographs and you could just connect the systems and say, right, so that's Scott and that's Kenneth. And you're at a conference and it picks it up because that's where you guys congregate.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's amazing in this day and age, but there are some people which uh, still haven't connected to some of these social media platforms, which I know is becoming rarer all the time. Yeah. I certainly think that's possible. And uh, in a controlled environment, people could provide their information. But I'd be very surprised if... You know, government agencies and things aren't uh, doing stuff like this already. There's articles that suggest they are. Um, so the technology is certainly around to be able to do that type of thing. And I think the main question for us as consumers is, you know, how do we boil this down into something that I can easily pay for? And what we were saying in um, an earlier uh, recording is that things like the Internet of Things, the popularity of that, is because we can buy something for fifty dollars and put it in our house, but we can't yet get that fifty dollar bargain-basement augmented reality device to um, give us all these benefits. So I think until that becomes a really clear benefit, and I mean these things are getting cheaper all the time, certainly virtual reality devices are getting quite affordable now. So it's only a matter of time, I think, but until that happens, I think there's still limits, not so much by the technology stopping facial recognition, but just by us being able to afford a device that does it.
0: Right. Now moving on to things that move, the things on four wheels, We've heard a lot about the Google driverless cars. Where is that going?
1: Driverless cars are getting very exciting, and Google is one major player in this space. Uber are uh, up to all sorts of things. In the driverless car space, we're seeing a lot of improvements, and it's not just Google. There's a lot of different manufacturers which are uh, doing this now. So we've seen that Uber are really actively looking at driverless cars. We've seen that uh, Volvo have done a lot of work in driverless cars and some of their commitments going forward and there's quite a few other companies Tesla of course which are working in this space as well so I think what's exciting about driverless cars is it's not just a case of when but there's also lots of competition and I think what makes this very exciting from a blind vision impaired perspective is that If there's lots of competition, then they're all going to be working hard to get that model right. And I draw a lot of confidence in this, not just because driverless cars are going to help me as a legally blind person getting around, but it's also going to have a lot of impact on other choices I make in my life. For example, currently I live fairly close to public transport because without public transport it would be a lot harder for me to get around. But if I had a driverless car, then um, my options on where I want to live and um, how far away from shops or, or what is best for myself and my family in terms of a home, my options suddenly expand dramatically and the fact that I could live in a more remote section um, or place in the forest or something and that I have that actual opportunity as a vision impaired person to make that type of choice is really where I see driverless cars becoming a uh, really, really beneficial. So I'm very excited about driverless cars going forward.
0: Now, do you think the application of driverless cars has more than what we think it offers, i.e. do you think it might be in the industrial space as well? I mean, we've heard of industrial trucks in some of the mining sites that are navigated by drivers. What other applications do you think it might offer us?
1: I think one of the really clear ones, and I was just in uh, Sydney recently, and in Sydney they're going to be introducing uh, a driverless consumer train soon. And certainly in the airports and other places like Singapore Airport, they've had their driverless trains and things. So I think in terms of just general driverless support, that's becoming more and more common. Uh, in terms of the more industrial aspects, yeah, it's just the next logical leap. I mean, they've had some um, driverless trains if memory serves me right, in the uh, north of WA to get um, mining materials back and forth between sites, and whilst trains are a good one to make drivers because they can't really go anywhere else, <laughs> uh, so you know you don't have as many variables to consider. That's right. Certainly in terms of trucks and other automated vehicles, I think it will make a huge difference in terms of the costs of delivery. I mean, a lot of the costs are often involved in um, in the human factor, and whilst a lot of people are concerned that automation might lead to job losses I think there will also be an uptake in the number of people who need to be trained in understanding how this technology works and how to support it so you know it's likely that there will be other jobs available to uh, look after all this stuff so it'll be interesting to see just going forward how much this impacts automation I think will have certainly changed the way our, our workforce is at the moment so that's where I see probably the biggest thing with industrial driverless cars.
0: And I suppose when it is tested in the industry or different segments of commerce, it could possibly feed back into new technologies for people who are vision impaired. I think it will. And when we talk about things like augmented
1: reality or driverless cars, it wasn't always the case that these things were considered as uh, out of the box this will help uh, blind people although to Google's credit that has been a very early conversation and that's uh, exciting but you only have to look back through our science fiction movies I think of Johnny Cab in uh, Total Recall and, uh, yes. and other things like that where we've seen movies um, that yeah you know the idea of, of robots driving cars or driverless cars have been around with us for um, some time and I think as a society we've seen the uh, benefits to uh, these things and we've imagined the benefits of these things and the possibilities And probably the only thing that's really holding back any driverless automation at the moment is uh, the crazy human drivers that would still be on the road while the automated ones are there as well. If everything was automated it would probably be a lot safer because all the cars could talk to each other and coordinate things. As long as there's that random human element um, behind the steering wheel, then, uh, yeah, I think that's what adds the complexity at the moment. So
0: it'll be interesting to see how that's worked out going forward. Now, let's go on to things that we can actually put on ourselves, on our person, on our body. What about wearables? Where are we in that space? Wearables are an interesting one
1: because it's really been difficult for consumers to wrestle with how important they are and i think when wearables first popped up when we saw some of the um smartwatches and we saw things like um the fitbit and, and fitness trackers there was sort of this niche audience that thought these were really good but i think for most people they really struggled to try and figure out well how does this impact on my life how do i Um, justify this? Or how is this really more beneficial than, say, a smartphone? Or do I still need to have a smartphone to if I'm going to get, say, an Apple Watch? So unlike a lot of other technologies like the Internet of Things and um, driverless cars, I don't know if wearables have initially captured our imagination as much as other emerging technologies. But that said, uh, we've certainly seen evidence that they're getting popular now. I think the uh, latest version of the Apple Watch, for example, which really does cut the cord from the mobile phone, giving you Um, The ability to make phone calls separate from your mobile device and um, being able to go uh, running and swimming and doing all sorts of things um, has really seen a notable step forward in the power of the smartwatch. And certainly with uh, Fitbit and other fitness trackers, we're seeing these products evolve a lot. One of the biggest things to hold them back has been battery life, and that's now starting to um, improve as well. So I think people are starting to see that actually there is some merit, and um, and this also ties in a bit with the Internet of Things, being able to control things from our our wrist uh, is uh, seen as an added benefit. Um, we only have to go back um, to comic strips like Dick Tracy to see yeah. that uh, you know the concept has been around for a very long time, maybe 80 years, but um, it's only just been um, realised, and I think only just really recently have we actually been able to justify this as something that
0: could actually be useful to us Mm. now jumping into another hoop i'm talking about sports here because sports is a major part of social life do you think there are technologies coming up in the future that will allow more participation not just in recreation sport but actually in competitive sport I think at the
1: moment, the smartwatch is one of those ones which is really plugged as being, you know, if you're into sports, this is the technology for you, especially as it can monitor so much with heart rate or um, distance and things like that, so... I think already we have a push uh, in the sports direction thanks to the smartwatch. This is another one of those applications which is becoming useful. And also from a blind perspective, being able to navigate with a smartwatch with discrete taps um, on your wrist to go left or right, much more discreet than a smartphone. Um, So we're seeing some benefits in that more broadly, absolutely. I mean, I, it wasn't that long ago when uh, Intel released a proof-of-concept smart jacket, and it actually had sensors all over the thing and could give you all sorts of information about the environment and location and objects just by vibrating different parts of the jacket, which sounds a bit odd, but in fairness, it worked quite well. And so mm. one of the biggest, I think, uh, restrictions to sport from a vision-impaired point of view is the ability of navigation and so if that stops becoming a problem because your your wearables are um, helping you to easily um, navigate without running into things or riding your bike and being able to dodge objects or getting around that golf course without you know when there's slopes and you've got very discreet things that you're wearing that monitor all these things and let you very quickly and easily navigate that's very powerful i mean coming back to that smart jacket it would basically vibrate. A part of your body, and would get at different speeds depending on where an object was closing in. So, if you're walking down the street and suddenly your your far left side started vibrating and that suddenly got stronger, mm-hmm. then you know that that's what you're about to. There's a pole coming up on the left, and you can just step around it. So, I know it sounds a bit uh, sus, uh, having various <laughs> things vibrating on your body. You know, the uh, the implications from an access point of view are quite <laughs> promising, and it actually showed in testing that with um some practice and training, people could very easily navigate around things as they're walking.
0: Right. Now, just as we begin to reach the end of this conversation, are there any ethical issues surrounding this idea of wearables and perhaps even going as far as embedding it into a person's anatomy?
1: I think there is the question to ask, who gets this information and what is done with that information is uh, really critical. There are certainly been some operations of people putting RFID chips under their skin, and... Other things. I think the main concerns I have is that I've read some research as part of the Internet of Things study I did that uh, showed that when they monitored patients in an e health context, they found that they could actually help the patients more the longer that they monitored them. So, for example, rather than just monitoring people based on the condition that they had actually come to the clinic for, if they monitored them long term, they could start to go, okay, well, look, perhaps your cholesterol is high because we just found out that you went to McDonald's seven times. Um, last week or um, (laughs) other things like that and you know your heart rate seems to be particularly high you know when you watch this scary movie on tuesday uh, and they started to discover actually there were lots of things that these devices were picking up that they could actually bring into that health conversation now on one hand that sounds like a really good thing on the other hand uh, it is a little disconcerting to think that you could be wearing a smart jacket for example but that information is going off to someone who now knows your every move and is deciding on your condition because of it so i do think there are some implications here and it is important to ask those questions you know who does get this information and what are they going to do with it
0: right well now we've come to the end of our time and join us again for the next session when we will be speaking with dr scott hollier about all things digital and all things accessible thank you scott thank you till we meet again this is kenneth pa signing off This episode was edited by matthew Clark.